Right now, it's Barry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. Well, it was a miracle that changed my life. I was 18 years old. I had suffered an excruciating ankle injury, and God immediately took the pain away as my mom prayed in the name of Jesus. That changed the trajectory of my life. It wasn't as dramatic as the miracles in the Bible. God took my pain away, but the ankle was still sprained. But the other thing connected to that miracle was how God touched the shame in my heart. And that was what really changed me. And that was a miracle too. You know, people will say the greatest miracle is salvation. And I I think that's true because God actually, we experience the presence of God. We experience something no human being can give to us. We experience God pouring his love into our hearts. So when we give our lives over to Jesus and he fills us with the Holy Spirit, and every time he fills us with the Holy Spirit as a believer, that's something miraculous as well. That's Mm -hmm. something no human can do. So anyway, I think my story gives us some hints as to why God does miracles. Matthew 118, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now this is a miracle. It's the only time a virgin birth has ever happened. Jesus was conceived in Mary's womb by the power of the Holy Spirit. By the way, Muslims believe in the virgin birth as well. (laughs) This shows us, I think, the first reason God does miracles. Miracles are a sign that we can trust the message because God does something that is humanly impossible. Hebrews 2, 3, and 4 gets at this confirming, you know, sense of miracles. God also testified to salvation through Christ by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. And then God does miracles to show his love, like he did for me, like he's done for you and bringing you into his family. Before Jesus fed the 5,000, By multiplying two fish and five loaves of bread, Mark says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. It Mm -hmm. was like a pain within him. It hurt so much. He wanted to help so much that it hurt. That's what compassion is getting at here. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he multiplied the five loaves and the two fish because of his great love for that crowd of people and to show them who he really was and is. Now, when it comes to miracles, I think there are two extremes we can land on. One is that God just doesn't do those anymore. You know, that after the Bible was written and after the apostles all died and and went away, God just ceased doing miracles. That's one extreme. The other is that miracles should happen every single day because that's what happens in the Bible. I mean, you should be able to walk up to Lake Michigan and part those waters. You know, that's how often miracles should happen and what should happen. But what we forget is that there were long periods of time in the Bible when no miracles happened. And there were also people like Paul who did miracles, but who still themselves got sick. Paul writes to the believers in Galatia, as you know, it was because of an illness 
that I first preached the gospel to you. So here's Paul. He's he's working the signs and the wonders of an apostle to confirm the gospel. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he gets sick. Right. He's got his own hardships. He also, Paul wrote about, you know, having the thorn in the flesh. There was something that he had to battle that he says in scripture, like I prayed about it and I prayed about it and I prayed about it and I asked God just for relief, you know, that there would be breakthrough and it didn't come. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he knew what it was like to see the hand of God move in a miraculous and instant way and bring about, you know, life transformation. Mm -hmm. But he also knew what it was to wrestle through that not coming. Yeah. So it's not a formula. It's not like God never does miracles or God always does miracles. It's God does miracles as he chooses to do miracles. And I can't wrap my mind around it, Mm -hmm. but I believe that he does. You know, through this conversation, maybe you've been thinking about a miracle that you need. We need a miracle in our family. So this is personal. It's not like I'm just giving a a discussion about miracles theoretically. This is personal. right? And here's where I find my hope. I believe that God can do miracles, and so I keep on asking. I always ask God for that breakthrough in my family member's life. But if he doesn't, I'm still going to trust him. Because the miracles of God, his signs and wonders throughout history, including the virgin birth and the resurrection... Prove that God is love and that he's alive. So in the face of in the face of not seeing miracles, I believe in a God of miracles. And that gives my heart hope. Mm-hmm. That gives my heart hope. So for that reason, if my family doesn't get this miracle, I trust him. I trust he knows what he's doing. I trust that his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And I, I've seen... I've seen a kid delivered from a demon, you know, and that was pretty dramatic. But I've also seen like this family member suffer for for decades Mm -hmm. and nothing changed. Nothing changed. So I don't understand it, but I do know that God is power and God is love and God cares and that all of this is moving towards Mm -hmm. something, which I'll mention in a moment. And I think too, you know, I mean, what stands out to me from what you're saying, Perry, is just invite God into it. You know, don't stop talking to God about it. Keep asking like Paul did, right? Just keep asking. You don't know if today is the day that the prayer gets answered or that the breakthrough comes. So don't stop asking, but also invite God into the waiting. So ask and expect, you know, the miracle because he's a miracle working God. and we can also expect that he's going to sustain us in the waiting. Yeah. And like with things that we, we suffer long, that we go through long periods of suffering. When I came into my twenties, I discovered, Oh, I have this thing called depression and it's not been a part of every day of my life since, but it has been part of my life throughout my whole journey right up to the present. Now, if Jesus would have healed me of that when I was in my twenties, that would have been awesome but I wouldn't be who I am today without mm-hmm. that because those periods of long suffering, God has worked in it. He has molded my character. He has deepened my faith. He has actually created faith in my life. So I can say, you know, I've heard Johnny Erickson Tata, who is a quadriplegic and 
you know, she broke her neck when she was 16. Now she's in her 70s. I've heard her say, I'm glad that God didn't do the miracle. I'm glad that God didn't do the miracle because of all the stuff that he's done in my life, because of how much passion I have for Jesus to know him and to love him. And, and she'll say, I don't, I don't know that I'd have that if God would have healed yeah. me. So there's that part of it too. That's not the whole picture, but that, that is a part of it to, to put in the equation. So this is what I know for sure. I know that one day, Jesus is going to come and he's going to set everything right. Because you know what? When God does miracles, all those miracles that Jesus did in the New Testament, all those people died. Mm -hmm. And all of us are still waiting for the greatest miracle when Jesus comes and puts everything right. And that will be the greatest miracle of all. And that miracle is going to happen. I've got good news. Listen to this. Luke 2, starting with verse 8. We'll just go through about 12. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This is good news. The angel brought good news that was for everyone everywhere. So here's what's going on. Let's just break down the scene a little bit. I think sometimes with familiar stories, we forget to just like be in awe at what is actually happening. So we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The shepherds, the angel. Mm -hmm." Okay. So here we go. Let's Break it down. (laughs) Let's break it down. This is what's going on. The shepherds are doing what shepherds do. They're just at work doing their thing. They're away from town. They're out in a field where the sheep could graze. And they're just making sure that their sheep are safe. They're keeping watch over their sheep. And it's nighttime, so it's dark. It's just an ordinary night. Well, until it wasn't. All of a sudden, this angel shows up out of nowhere And the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, you got to think about this for a minute. We are talking about biblical times. They didn't have electricity. Their primary light source was fire. So small light source, you know, a flickering candle. Big light source was a big old bonfire. But this, this source of light, like that just was not from a fire, but just like coming from everywhere. This they had never experienced before and they never would again. So they were scared. They were terrified, actually, extremely scared. And the angel brings them comfort. The angel's first words are, don't be afraid. It's okay. It's a good thing. I've got good news. And the Christmas story, I mean, the good news that the angel is bringing is that God's on mission to save the world. And this is good news for everyone, everywhere. Because the angel, think about it, an, an angelic appearance Angel could have showed up to Caesar Augustus or maybe the high priest. I don't know, someone important, someone powerful, but he didn't. The angel appears to the shepherds. And if you don't know this about shepherds at the time, their testimony wasn't any good in court. They were not validated people. They were not, they didn't have a good reputation. They actually were kind of known for being thieves, for for not having a, a clear understanding of what is mine and what is yours. They just thought, oh, 
yeah, I'll take it. I'll have it. I'll enjoy it. And they would have been considered unclean because they're they're dealing with messy animals. Mm-hmm. Animals are messy, so they would be unclean, ceremonially unclean. So people would stay away from them because yeah. if you touch an unclean person, you get unclean. That's the that was the the religious thing that was going on then. And if you were to go back like before Jesus's birth hundreds of years, David was a shepherd. Abraham was a shepherd. It was like a very respectable position. Well, it was great training to take care of people. You know, that's why God, I believe, chose shepherds. Yeah. Moses was a shepherd, you know, as you right. said, David. And I don't know who else was shepherds. Abraham, you know, it's it's great preparation. I mean, you have to be, you have to be vigilant. You have to really care. You got to beat up. Bad animals that want to eat your flock. So it's good preparation. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So at this time, though, you know, the people who, as towns were built and people, you know, would would move in towards the town, the shepherds were kind of the riffraff of society, if you will. Okay, like the discarded, the dismissed, the irrelevant. Were they like the the two guys in Home Alone, the first Home Alone, who were trying to get into the house? This yeah. is the shepherds right there. <laughs> so the angels appear to those guys, which even just the angel appearing to the shepherds is proof that the message that the angel was bringing, you know, that this is good news for everyone everywhere is actually true because he's starting with the least expected people group sharing the good news of Jesus because he didn't come for the religious or the highbrow, you know, for the celebrities or the bigwigs. He came for me. And for you, he came to seek and save the lost. He came for everyone everywhere. That's the good news. You don't have to have the right upbringing. You don't have to have grown up in church. You don't have to be well off. You could be a thief. You could be an outcast. You could be blind or paralyzed or demon possessed. You could have a criminal criminal record. You could be an addict, a prostitute, a pimp, a liar, a cheater unfaithful, an abuser, a sex trafficker. Mm. And Jesus says, come to me, come to me. I came for you. I came to love you. I came to redeem your life. And I know where you've been and I know what you've done. And I still love you and you're still welcome here with me. Reminds me of Jesus' words to the religious guy, Nicodemus in John 3. Of course, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. But there's also words of Jesus in there that, that say, I didn't come to condemn the world. Mm-hmm. I came to save the world. Now the world is worthy of condemnation, but he came to save the world by being condemned himself. He took the condemnation that we deserve. That's why he came. And that's why Jesus is for all these different kinds of people that you've just mentioned and more. And you Jesus is for you. He knows where you've been. He knows what you've done. And he loves you. And he wants to be close to you. And he came so that he could take all the stuff upon himself on the cross and that you could be reconciled to God the Father, that you could have this intimate love relationship with God, that you could experience peace with God, peace in your own soul, peace with other people in your life. This is what Jesus wants to do for you. And it's just all it takes is for us to say, yes, I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe that you are Lord. I believe that you died for my sins. 
And I want you to be the Lord of my life personally. Yeah. And if you've never given your life over to Jesus, you know, in this moment, Jesus is pursuing you. And so you just open up your heart to him and say, I realize I'm a mess. I may look good on the outside, but I, I do realize I'm, I'm a flawed person. I'm a sinful person. Have mercy on me, mm-hmm. a sinner. And that's, that's giving your life over to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I just invite you to do that. And just in your, in your own words right now, if that's, if that's your heart right now, will you just pray with me? And yeah, completely make this your own, say it, how it feels right coming from your own heart. But let's just pray together. Lord, we recognize you for who you are. We can't even say the word Lord if if you didn't first call us to yourself. But here we are just saying, I know I don't deserve it, but I am so grateful that you sent your son to die for me. And I believe that my sins are covered by what happened on the cross. And I want to live for you. And I want to live with you. And I want to experience the peace of Christ in my life every single day. So I'm choosing now, Father, to to follow you, to be in love relationship with you. I choose you. I confess today, Jesus Christ is Lord. Okay, can I get real honest with you? Can I just like divert from, yeah, the content here and just kind of share from my heart? Yeah, so up to this point, you've not been honest? (laughs) Of course I've been honest, but I'm just saying, this is like real time. I got to tell you what happened yesterday because it's just, it won't leave me alone. So I got to tell you. So yesterday after the show was over, I was in my office and I was spending some time with the Lord and I was writing to him in my journal. That's what I do. I crack open the journal, you know, read some scripture. But when I write in my journal, I'm not just like, it's not just a conversation with myself. I'm, I'm writing to the Lord and writing him a letter and having a conversation with him. So here's what I was talking to him about in my journal. I'm teaching this weekend. And in my study and my preparation, there's some contrasting views on the scripture that I'm teaching on. And I feel like I'm in over my head. It feels like pressure to me. You know what I mean? I think what I feel is the weighty responsibility of teaching God's word and wanting to represent him well. So in my journal, I wrote, Father, the voices I'm battling are telling me, you're not qualified. You're not educated enough. You don't know enough about the Bible. You don't understand theology. You shouldn't be teaching this weekend. That's what I'm hearing, right? So I'm pouring this out, pouring out my heart to God and asking him to just keep me from sharing anything that isn't true. Like Holy Spirit, take over and get rid of the stuff that's Shauna and just let it be you who shows up when I'm teaching. So as I'm writing this out in my journal, the phone rings here at the station and um, Scott answers, and, and it's a listener. Her name is Anne. She shares with me that two years ago, she was up against something bigger than her. And Perry, you prayed a prayer, hmm. and she asked you to write it out. It was exactly what she needed. And she has been praying that prayer now for two years. How cool is that? Wow. I ought to be praying that too. I wonder if I am. <laughs> <laughs> it so was exactly what she needed in the moment that she grabbed onto it and she's continued to pray it. So anyway, then she said that yesterday morning, as we were doing the show, she was making her bed. She was listening to Perry and Shauna mornings and she was crying out to God. There's something again that God is asking her to do that feels way bigger than her. And so she said to God, God, what, why are you calling me to do this? You know, who am I to represent you in such a big way? I don't 
know what to do. And at that moment in our conversation on the air, Perry, I said, you know, I think it's better if we don't know what to do. Because when we know, we just tend to do it on our own instead of relying on God to work through us. Yeah, I remember that. Okay, at that moment, she hears those words and she just falls on the bed in tears and she's crying and she's thanking God because she knows that God has just spoken to her. Beautiful. So she's sharing her story with me of being encouraged by what I had said. And as she's telling me this, it's exactly what I need to be hearing to be encouraged with what I'm battling with as I'm journaling and writing to the Lord. I'm not qualified, you know, and she's feeling I'm not qualified. So praise God. We're all unqualified. Yeah. And he uses us anyway. How cool is that? It's a great club, eh? It is a great club, eh? Yes. I mean, he used a guy with a speech impediment to be his bold mouthpiece to Pharaoh. Just think about it for a second. He used a guy hiding out in a wine press to lead an army to victory. He used a young, engaged girl to carry his one and only son. And may all of us just respond like she did. May it be to me as you have said. I don't know if you've noticed this, but we live in an extremely self-righteous time. Now, the church has always had some self-righteousness in it, but I think a case could be made that our wider culture is exponentially more self-righteous. We're so quick to cancel people, to dig up dirt and destroy someone's reputation. Social media is judge, jury, and executioner. As Jesus people... We can do better. Yeah. I want to take the lead from Jesus' earthly dad, Joseph. Matthew 1.18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the, to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So first, when Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant, and when he thinks she's pregnant by another man, he seeks a quiet divorce for the sake of Mary's reputation. And in all fairness, feeling or thinking that she was pregnant by another man, this is the only way we know to get pregnant. Right. There's only one way. So, you know, for him to think, okay, she's had, you know, relations with another man and she's pregnant. And so I'm going to try to, I still want to honor her. So I'm going to do this discreetly, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to step away. Makes sense. Yeah. There has only been one virgin birth in history. And so what a guy. What a guy could have easily canceled Mary in that moment. And then when he finds out through a dream that the baby has been conceived by the Holy Spirit, he goes ahead with the marriage, knowing that it will cost him his reputation. Mm -hmm. Because who else really is going to believe that Mary had a child conceived by the Holy Spirit? You know, even even Mary's parents, I wonder what they thought if they really believe the story. And there's a great movie called The Nativity 
which really just tells the story in such a beautiful way and just shows the tension of this dynamic, you know, because a virgin birth has only happened once. So people will assume, mm. you know, that it went down in the regular way. Right. And yet Joseph was was such a man of honor. You know, I think it, it probably was even more tough for him to, you know, realize that a miracle has happened. I'm going to marry Mary. And probably throughout my whole life, I'm going to be looked on as as somebody who who did it wrong. You know, I did it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. You know, we we had relations before we, we were supposed to. So he was such an honorable man. I want to be like that. I don't want to be judge, jury, and executioner. I don't want to be a canceler. And it's rooted in this. This is why I don't want to be a canceler. I know the sinner I am. I know what I deserve. And because I know this in my heart, I want to show the same mercy that I've received. Mm -hmm. I know what Jesus has done for me, so I don't ever want my first reaction to be judgment because I know that God can redeem and restore anyone. God can restore anyone, and so I don't want to judge or cancel anyone because he's redeemed and restored me. And so there's something really, really sweet about being aware of your failures and your sins and your faults. I think that should cause us to be merciful toward others. You know, there are people who deserve to be canceled. But you know what? I deserve to be canceled. Mm -hmm. If you want to put out there all of the junk that has been in my life from the time of my birth till now, you'd probably cancel me if you're the canceler kind of person. I think that part of the whole, you know, cancel thing comes from an, a me versus them or us versus them mentality instead of, and what I'm hearing you say, Perry, is when I realize how much, if it was up to somebody else, I would be canceled. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it was, if if it was up to somebody else, they would choose that I wouldn't make it in, Mm -hmm. you know? And so instead of seeing it as an us and them mentality, just realize it's just us. We are all in need of the grace of God. Mm -hmm. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. There's just us and them and we all need Jesus. Yeah. So can we be kind? Can we be merciful? I think, I think it's blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Mm-hmm. I think you need to fact check me on that, but that's what comes to mind. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. And, and you know, on the, on the flip side, if you're judgmental, you're going to face judgment. I don't want to face judgment. Right. And so, man, if you if you see somebody that, that should be canceled or is being unjustly canceled or justly canceled, just come alongside of them and believe in them. You know that anybody can be restored. Anybody can become just like Jesus. And we, I don't know why we have in our mind, maybe this is just me and you can correct me if it's, you know, if it's just me, I'll just stop talking about it. But I, I think that we want to think, oh, I'm a judgmental person or, oh, I'm not a judgmental person. But the reality is both of those things probably exist in every single one of us. There are areas where, yeah, I'm not going to judge you. Like, I'm just like you. And then there are other things that mm, 
my eyebrows get raised, you know, and it's like that just exists in every single one of us. It's not this clean cut I am or I'm not. And Mm -hmm. so I think that just bringing this up this morning is an opportunity for every single one of us to say, Lord, examine my heart. Mm. Where are the places that I'm not like you? I'm not representing you. And and there's judgment there. Show me your heart and give me compassion for the people that you have compassion for. So we're in Advent season waiting for expectant of Jesus's arrival, not only as a baby, but his second coming, he's coming back. And Christmas is all about God's sweet goodness to us, his provision for exactly what we needed. And this is what he made possible for you and me through sending his son to earth to be human, to live, to die for our sins, to conquer death, to rise from death and to now take his place beside the father. This is what's available to us through him. This is Psalm 31, 19 and 20. It says, how great is the goodness that you have stored up for those who fear you. You lavish it on those who come to you for protection, blessing them before the watching world. You hide them in the shelter of your presence, safe from those who conspire against them. You shelter them in your presence, far from accusing tongues. I love, I love, love, love this because what God made available to us in sending his son, Jesus is proximity. We were distanced from God because of our sin. We were distanced for all of eternity. We were going to be separated from God. And then he said, "Mm -mm, I got a plan. I got a way. He sends Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. The only way to be reconciled and to come back into proximity with the father is through Jesus Christ, the son. And now because of the son, we have this presence of God with us always. I love the last part of verse 20. It says, you shelter them, your people in your presence, far from accusing tongues. And uh, I don't know about you, but the enemy accuses me of my past sins a lot, mm-hmm. just a lot. And even recently, and just needing to go to those promises of God's word and just say, It is written, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And Colossians 1, 13 and 14, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. And let's see, Psalm 103, he forgives us all our sins Mm -hmm. and heals us all our diseases. This is a reality. I've been journeying with Jesus since I was 10 years old, you know, and It's been an experience of mine throughout my whole journey that Satan accuses. He is the accuser. Mm -hmm. And right up to the present, this has been my normal experience. So I want to normalize that. If you think that, man, there must be something wrong with me because I'm always getting accused in my conscience, in my mind, you know, of my sins. And it's, it's it's not always the enemy. Sometimes we... We, we condemn ourselves. We need to forgive ourselves, accept that forgiveness. But the enemy, you can be sure that the enemy is a big part of that. Yeah, he's going to leverage that Yep, for his purposes. Because he, he knows everything. He's got a file on us. And he's not only the accuser, though, but he's also a liar. So, you know, you may have done something and the facts are that you committed a crime or you did something, right? And that's a fact. 
the enemy takes the fact and he lays it on you like it's your identity. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. That is who you are. It's like, that's not a fact. That is not who I right. am. I've even had Satan uh, create sins. Hmm. That right. you didn't commit. Yeah. Like in my dreams. Hmm. Like see, they seem so real and I, I wake up and I feel like I've I've done that and 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 have it stick with me. Mm-hmm. And and I'll start wondering, did I really do that? You know, that's that's how that's how sinister the enemy is. And there's only way one way to stand. It's it's on the reality of what Jesus Christ has done for us and knowing that word, know your word, Mm -hmm. know your word, know those promises and say, it is written. It is written. It is written. Here's a good word for you from, for this morning, man, if you, if you know who Jesus is, if Jesus is Lord of your life, these promises are yours. Psalm 31, 19 and 20. How great is the goodness that you have stored up for those who fear you. You lavish it on those who come to you for protection, blessing them before the watching world. You hide them in the shelter of your presence, safe from those who conspire against them. You shelter them in your presence, far from accusing tongues. Thanks so much for listening. Questions or comments? Text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930.